Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. Last week, we were talking about childhood emotional neglect and how the symptoms of that in our adulthood can make it really difficult for us to address what we want and need and to feel comfortable expressing those wants and needs both to ourselves and to others. This week, we're going to talk about working with our inner child to heal some of those wounds from childhood emotional neglect. Now, some of you have already listened to episode 20, where I talk about reparenting your inner child. And if you haven't listened to that episode, or if you haven't listened for a while, please go listen to that first before this episode. And the reason for that is because I go through the basics of how we work with our inner child. I even take you through sort of a meditation that you can do with yourself and with your inner child to begin to acknowledge the child's feelings, to begin to validate what the child is experiencing, and then to be able to uh, start working with their needs, to provide more of their needs and, and create a sense of safety and security with you as their new mature adult parent. I go through the whole what I call adoption process of your inner child. And we are going to be talking about some of the ideas that is in that episode again here, but we're going to be building on that episode. So that's from April of 2021. It is episode 20. It's called Reparenting Your Inner Child. And if you haven't listened to it or if you haven't listened for a while and you're identifying with childhood emotional neglect or struggling to figure out what you want and need, please go listen to that episode, at least in conjunction with this one, because it's really going to give you some of those tools you need to start working with that inner child self and healing some of those wounds that came about because of childhood emotional neglect. Now, we're going to be working with three different parts today. I think I talked about two different parts in episode 20. I talked about your inner child and your mature adult. We'll still be talking about those today, but we're also going to be talking about the parentified child part of you. That's the part of you that's usually very critical or um shaming or uses fear as a way to kind of control the inner child part of you. I'm really excited to dig into this, but before we get into that, I want to invite you all to join me at the Beyond the Womb Virtual Summit. This week, actually today, I am speaking at the summit on reclaiming your own authority as well as interviewing live Joe Lumen, Dr. Mark Karras, and Dr. Laura Anderson about toxic theology, and talking about the books all three of them are publishing in the near future. I've also got to interview about a third of the speakers this year, and I can tell you firsthand that the tools and resources shared are incredibly useful. So come join me at beyondthewound.org and use the promotion code PODCAST20 to get 20% off of your ticket. The summit will go through February 5th, and there are so many good resources over there, and you get to consume them at your own pace. You can even stop by the virtual Emancipate Your Mind booth 
this week and start up some conversations at my digital tables. I look forward to seeing you there. All right, let's talk about these different parts a little bit more. What is your inner child? So your inner child is any version of you that is younger than you are now. However, when dealing with childhood emotional neglect, the versions of you that you're often dealing with are younger than eight when you hadn't developed the ability to think rationally or logically. So from birth to age seven, we're developmentally in what is known as the egocentric stage when we believe that everything that happens in our immediate environment is somehow linked to us or even caused by us. Even as young children, we assign meaning to the things that happen around us. We created stories about what was happening in the world to make sense of our surroundings and to help us feel safer and more in control. However, at this age, we may have believed that things were our fault when really they had nothing to do with us. We may have believed our parents divorced, for instance, because we weren't good enough, like that we were naughty or something like that. We may have believed our mother was emotionally withdrawn because we weren't lovable instead of understanding that she was dealing with unrelated stress or depression. We may have believed our parents ignored our needs because our needs weren't important or because we weren't worthy of love and care. That child part of us still lives inside of us and often comes out to play when a situation we're in reminds us of the experience we had as children. We call this being triggered. So for instance, if a romantic partner goes through depression and becomes withdrawn or moody, we may logically with our adult brain understand that changes in mood happen for all kinds of reasons and it might not be related to us. But there might be another part of us that feels rejected, overwhelmed, or resentful. And this is because our inner child is relating our partner's depression with what we experienced maybe from a parent as a child and the meaning that we created from that experience. So you may have created any of these meanings from your experience with your own parent's depression. So if you had a depressed parent, you may have thought, it's my fault that they're depressed. I'm not enough to make them happy. They don't love me anymore. And these kinds of thoughts that are happening in our head might bring up feelings of, you know, rejection, maybe even some resentfulness, or you may have created meanings like, I have to save them. So maybe you felt like you had to parent your parent and you felt like you had to make them feel better again, that that was your job. And so if you have an adult partner or spouse that is experiencing depression, even if you have like an adult child and you're their parent, you might have some of these feelings from your own childhood come up if you had a depressed parent where you feel like it's your job to save them or it's your job to make them feel emotionally better again. And that might make you feel overwhelmed and again, resentful that you're having to do this. You'll know that your inner child has been triggered when you act out. And acting out can be all different kinds of things. Your behavior and emotional state will often resemble the age of the child that you were when you were wounded. So I don't know if you've ever had an experience where, you know, you're you're walking along and you're, you know, a 42-year-old person, but something will trigger you and you find yourself acting or throwing a tantrum or 
you know, engaging in some of the behaviors that maybe you engaged in when you were five or six, something that you would expect a young child to do. And you're doing it as a 42 year old person. And I mean, you might react by lashing out or throwing a tantrum. You might cry in places that the regular adult you wouldn't normally cry. You might binge on sweets and comfort food, or you might even like hide away with like numbing behavior or actually locking yourself in a room away from everyone like you might have as a child. So we know that we're kind of acting out or engaging in behaviors kind of created by our inner child when afterwards we have a feeling of confusion. There's usually a lot of like, what just happened? It can feel like you've been hijacked. It can feel like someone else took over your body. And you might even feel shame for losing control. But the fact that you reacted disproportionately kind of points to maybe there being something unresolved in your past. So when that happens, when you feel like you were hijacked or you feel like you acted out or you felt like you acted not your age, it's an opportunity for us to get curious with ourselves and to explore with our inner child, maybe what's going on? What was the trigger? What happened? Remember, even if you feel like you're overreacting because the stimulus or trigger was something that feels small to the adult you, it feels huge to your inner child. And your inner child's feelings make sense and will seem proportionate when you take time to understand what was going on for them and how they interpreted the situation. So I know some of you over in the Facebook group said that when you're trying to locate your wants or when you're trying to even give yourself the things that you want and you need in your life, it can feel like you're at war with yourself. And often this is what is going on. So you have a child part of yourself that feels like it's unsafe to want and need things, that you're just going to be disappointed, that um, it's just going to bring up more resentment and hurt for you. And it is trying to put on the brakes of you even exploring what you want and need. So this child part is like, "Uh uh-uh, this is not okay. This is not safe. And so it's pushing back and you have the adult part of you that has seen more of the world, has access to more resources and is like, other people have this. It's okay for me to want this. It's okay for me to have needs. Everyone has needs. So you can feel at war with yourself because there are different parts of you that are pushing back against one another. And so in this episode, we're going to talk about working with these different parts so that you can help them come to an understanding with one another so that you don't feel at war anymore, so that you feel like you can create a treaty, if you will, that honors everyone's needs and allows you to live in peace. Now, the parentified child part of you is a protective part that mimics the messages we receive from our parents' dismissive or inattentive behavior. So this part is not actually your parent that somehow got lodged inside of you. It's actually a child part of you that either mimics your parents' expectations and voice to keep you in line, or it uses shame and fear to keep you from acting out and experiencing consequences that you might have normally received from a parent in the past. So for instance, if you had like a really highly critical parent you may have a parentified part of you that's forever criticizing or belittling you. They might belittle your accomplishments and or your needs in a way to keep you safe from outside criticism and rejection. It's trying to manage your expectations and behavior 
It's actually there to try to protect your inner child from additional outside ridicule and harm. So this part of us often feels like our enemy and we get really angry at this part. Like the adult part of us and the child part of us gets really angry at this part. We might feel hatred for this part. We might feel a sense of rejection for this part of us, but this part is trying to be a friend as best it can. Remember, it's a child part of you too. And it doesn't have access to logic or reason either because it is the age that you were usually about the time that your inner child got wounded. And so it's doing its best with the tools it had when you were a young child to try to keep you safe. And often that's by trying to hide you or keep you small and help you avoid detection from a larger person that they think is going to hurt or harm you. And so they use shame, they use fear, they use criticism, um, invalidation as a way to try to keep your inner child safe. And I find that this is the most difficult part of this process. When we are doing inner child work, it's working with this parentified and protective part of us because we often do feel so much disgust and disdain and anger and resentment towards this part of us. Because often it does speak in the voice of somebody who criticized us or neglected us or ignored us. And we often project those feelings that we had towards that parent or caregiver or teacher or coach onto this child part of us that has taken on that voice. And so I think when we can understand that this part of us is trying to protect that young child version of us the best it can, think of it like, a parent that leaves a child at home with another very young child. And when there's a threat, that child is usually not going to think logically or make the best choices for safety. They might have everyone hide underneath a bed or they might have everyone hide in a closet or something. That is what this child part of you is doing. And they're trying to hide you away by keeping you small with the shame and the fear. And so if we can understand that this is a scared child part of you as well that's doing its best to help you hide, then I think we can find more compassion for this child part of ourselves, which is important for reparenting ourselves and healing childhood emotional neglect. Because often between our mature adult selves and the inner child self, there is this very critical parentified part of us. And as long as we're judging it and trying to reject it and trying to abandon it, Um, it will get bigger and louder and it will feel like your child self is not safe with you because that's really what it's doing. It's saying, I don't trust you with the child self. So I'm going to, you know, use shame and fear and I'm going to criticize the child to keep it safe from you. So learning to accept this part of us, this critical part of us and understanding it's trying to protect us from outside criticism, outside invalidation outside neglect, learning to sit with it and figure out what it's trying to protect us from can be huge in accessing our inner child and helping that parentified part feel safe enough to step to the side so that we can talk with our inner child. So this is going to be a big piece in writing that treaty because it's usually this is the part that we're at war with. Our inner child has wants and needs. 
we have wants and needs. And so we have adult wants and needs. We have the child part wants and needs. And then we have this parentified part in there that like criticizes that we shouldn't have those. And we can feel like we're at war with each other when actually we're all on the same side. We all want us to be happy and healthy and as pain-free as possible. So helping this parentified part feel safe is going to be a huge part to your healing. And this is actually the part of you that feels that rush of shame or fear after your inner child takes the reins. So it failed to control your inner child and your inner child hopped out and was seen. It got past the parentified parts defenses. Its needs were voiced. Its hurt feelings were exposed. Its insecurity was put out there where the world could see it. And that feels really scary to your parentified child self. It's this part of you that feels ashamed for failing to contain the big unresolved feelings of your inner child. That's what's coming up for this parentified part of you. It's this feeling of shame of, I didn't keep my inner child safe and it's all my fault. I let it come out where it was vulnerable and exposed to additional ridicule, neglect, um, invalidation, and rejection. And that's on me. So it's feeling shame for not protecting you well enough is what's going on. I think if I could emphasize anything today in this inner child healing is that learning to be curious with this protector part is going to go a long way in helping you and your inner child connect and work together on the same team. And then we have this mature adult part of us, and this is who we are now. So this part of us has access to our rational, logical brains. This part has seen more of the world and has seen different ways of approaching the world. It can read new information and develop new ways of problem solving. This adult version of us has access to money and resources, has proven resilience that has allowed us to develop into adults, and has often differentiated themselves from their parents. So often our adult self is no longer living with our parents and you know, relying on our parents' resources to provide for us. And we've often developed different beliefs and different values, and we've tried on different things. We might be parents ourselves. So we've tried on different ways of parenting and figured out what we want to do like our parents and what we don't want to do like our parents. And we have access to a lot of resources. We have access to the internet. We can read what the internet is saying and we can make sense of it. We can, you know, listen to experts. We can listen to podcasts. We can go to summits. We can do all of these things that expand our horizons and help us heal. We can go to therapy, follow the Instagrams and blogs of therapists that are putting out free resources. And we can watch YouTube. There's so many good things on YouTube. So there's lots of things that our adult self can do that are inner child didn't have access to when we were younger than the age of eight. This part of us can offer our dependent inner child the things that our child didn't have access to. This part can be the mature, responsible, attentive, empathic parent that we wished we had when we were kids. And if we don't already know how to do that, The adult in us has the ability to learn and practice until they get better at it. So often what happens is when we're reparenting ourselves, we think that our adult self has to have all of the answers in order to be a good parent for our inner child. But just like becoming a parent in real life, where we often don't know much until we have kids and we're kind of learning as we go, 
It's okay to be an imperfect parent to your inner child. It's okay to learn as you go. One of the things we can do with our inner child is we can continue to establish that we're interested in the child. We want to understand them and accept them and that we're willing to continue to be accountable for the ways that we're harming the inner child and continue to work on it and continue to show up and practice. That's what we would like from our parents, right? We would like our parents to be invested in a relationship with us. We would like for them to be empathic to our feelings and our situation and validate what we're experiencing. And we'd like them to be accountable and committed to learning to do better, right? That's what we can do for our inner child. It's not that we're going to show up as a perfect parent because if we were raised by emotionally neglectful parents, we might not have the skills to, you know, meet ourselves or anyone else in a emotionally nurturing place yet, but we can learn how to do that. And so we can practice with our inner child and that's going to help us show up not only for ourselves better, but that's where it really starts to affect all of our other relationships, which is where we're going this year is, you know, how do we relate with other people, our kids, our significant others, our romantic partners, and the community at large? How do we make friends and community in a healthy place? It starts here. We practice these things with ourselves. And if it's difficult, we seek out therapy and support so that people can help guide us through that process and talk us through some of the like deeply embedded limiting beliefs we might have about what we deserve and what support even looks like. So for the adult self, if I could emphasize one thing, it is don't feel like you have to show up perfect. Just be committed to really creating a relationship with your inner child and committed to practicing new skills until you find a way to relate in healthier ways with your child. It's going to take time to undo things that we learned in childhood. I mean, I think when I started practicing some of these skills, I don't think I learned about inner child healing at all until I was maybe 36. And, you know, it took several years. I would say it took a good couple to three or four years even to like really start feeling like I was communicating in a fluid way. It takes time to undo the patterns of your childhood. And you're going to make mistakes. You're going to stumble. You're going to fail. You're going to criticize yourself again. You're going to find yourself being harsh. And you just catch it. You thank it for trying to protect you and keep you safe because that's that parentified part, right? Like, oh, thank you for catching it and trying to keep me safe. Like, let's sit down together and figure out what we're really afraid of. What are we worried about? And how do we all move forward? How do I help the parentified part of me feel safe? How do I help the child part of me feel safe? And what does the mature part of me want to accomplish here? What am I hoping to do? What am I hoping to like get from all of this? And how can we all work together and get all of our needs met? Now, I will say the mature part of us is often the part of us that's confused when our inner child pops out of hiding and acts out when triggered. It's the rational adult brain that can't understand why we suddenly threw a tantrum in the grocery store checkout when they were out of two for one raspberries. I know a lot of us saw some of those videos throughout COVID, people just having meltdowns in grocery store checkout lines. Um, This was people's inner child coming out. This was this sense of I'm not being cared for 
and people were under stress and their inner child was more easily triggered. So if you've seen videos like that, that was a great example of someone's inner child coming out. Um, This might also be the part of you that's confused when you ate the entire cheesecake that you bought for the work party today. You ate it all last night. You might wake up in the morning like, what in the world just happened? Why did I eat the whole thing? Why did I eat any of it? I bought that for the work party tonight. Or you might be confused when you go into hiding and you quit socializing for a month. All of these could be, you know, indicators that your inner child has kind of popped up and act out. When you're feeling confused, like what just happened, it almost feels like someone else takes over your body or you're on autopilot or almost feeling compulsive about something. This is likely what is going on. Okay, so how do we work with these three parts and heal childhood emotional neglect? Now, I want to give you a quick note. Inner child work can bring up triggers and you may experience resistance, especially if you had a very difficult childhood. This can bring up symptoms of PTSD. If you find inner child work to be difficult or even traumatic on your own, this is a cue to seek help from a therapist who can help support you as you learn to show yourself kindness and compassion. Even as you experience big feelings like anger, resentment, fear, or shame, a therapist can create safety for you to experience those big feelings. If you decide to seek out therapy, you may find a therapist who specializes in modalities based on attachment theory, internal family systems, or EMDR to be especially helpful. However, when seeking out a new therapist, you can simply ask them. If they've done inner child work with clients in the past with success, therapists actually really enjoy you asking straightforward to the point questions in your inquiry so that they can tell you if they can meet your needs or if they can't. Now, again, go back and listen to episode 20 if you haven't already. It's titled Reparenting Your Inner Child. If you need tools for how to adopt and begin to build trust with your inner child, it's like the very basics of reparenting. And I go through the whole mindfulness process of connecting with your inner child and having a first conversation with them. It's a little bit woo-woo, but I've gotten feedback that it's been so useful for people over the past two years. So if you've never considered having an inner child, if you've never you know, talked with this inner child part of yourself, go listen to that episode before we move forward because I'm going to focus on what to do after you've established trust with your inner child and they begin to communicate their feelings about what is happening around them. So in that episode, we go through learning how to visualize your inner child. We go through learning to recognize and acknowledge their emotions, just like labeling them, right? Like, oh, you're experiencing anger. Okay, it it feels like you're feeling lonely. We go through that and then validating that they have the emotion All of that is going to give you a lot of power towards healing childhood emotional neglect. But today, I want to take that next step, which is to ask, what is the story behind this emotion? Now, I'm going to be taking some of this information from a book that I've been reading called Crucial Conversations. I'll put the link in the show notes. But chapter five talks about this process that we all go through there. A lot of us will say things like, oh, you made me so angry or this, this situation is making me afraid or, you know, 
like the news on the media is making me feel anxious. And so from this model, it would look like there's a stimulus that creates an emotion. And then we act on that emotion that like other people create the emotion in us by what they say and do. So becoming aware of the emotion can give us a lot of power. I'm angry because I'm afraid because I'm happy because labeling our emotions like we did in episode 20, it slows down the emotional chemistry and gives us time to decide how to react. So this is powerful just on its own. And it's a fantastic first step. Learning to listen to our inner child's emotions and slow down the process by labeling what they're feeling and deciding what they need to feel safer and more secure really does create a lot of safety between us and our inner child. We're validating our feelings, which for those of us who experience childhood emotional neglect may have never happened for your inner child before. Your feelings may not have ever been validated. So this is a huge first step. But there's actually a step in this process that we're missing that will give us even more power to decide our actions and care for our inner child. So in this model, the old model is there's a stimulus. We see or hear something. It creates an emotion. And from that emotion, we act or react. And so in episode 20, we did the step in between the emotion And the action or reaction, we slowed that down so we could get curious about labeling the emotion and really getting clear about what we're experiencing and then what we would need to feel safe. We we got it slower so that we could choose to act instead of react. However, today we're going to be looking at that step between what we see and hear And the emotion that we feel, because there's another step in there. And that is we tell ourselves a story. So before we have a feeling about what we see and hear, and before we act on that feeling, we're interpreting what we see and hear. We create a story in our head about what it means. It's usually based on past experience or past stories. This is really where our inner child has a lot of influence because they were the ones who first created many of the stories we're still basing our life off of. So this is the reason why you could have 10 different people who see and hear the exact same thing and interpret it 10 different ways, have 10 different emotions and react in 10 different ways. This is also why you can hear or see something in one context and it doesn't bother you at all. And it might even make you like laugh or feel closer to the people, but it'll bring you to the boiling point in 0.2 seconds in a different situation. So let me give you an example. So when I first left the Mormon church, if my parents used Mormon language in conversation, I'd feel triggered. I'm sure you've had, you know, some similar situations. There's very specific language with Mormonism. Um, I often try to define that here on the podcast. So things like Relief Society president and temple worship and endowment ceremonies and, you know, young women's and laurels and beehives and callings and bishops, like all of this language that is very specific to Mormonism and signals that you're part of the in crowd, right? It's interesting because Kevin and I just went to a board game convention And we sat down at a table full of people playing a game we wanted to play and they were nice and it was great. And we played several games and things were fine until one of them 
recognized that, I don't even remember how it came about, but one of them recognized that we were familiar with, not even um, had been members of the LDS church, but we were familiar with Mormonism. And from there, the language completely changed and they were using the in lingo that signaled Mormonism. And like, this is an in crowd and then there's an out crowd. And it was triggering for me still. I was actually surprised to find how triggering that was. Um, I, I had to do a lot of inner child work while actually like sitting at this table, like comforting my inner child and the protective part of me, like we're okay. Even if they reject us, or even if, you know, it comes up that I'm ex-Mormon, you know, and they decide they don't want to play games with me anymore and we're abandoned. It's fine. This room is full of other people I can game with and their acceptance of me in no way impacts my self-worth. Like there was a lot of this going on and it definitely happened with my parents when they would use this lingo when I first left the church as well. So the story my inner child created about their language is that they were subtly reminding me that I no longer belonged. This was with my parents because the language was a great indicator of who belonged, who was part of the group and who wasn't. My story inside my head was that they were reminding me that I wasn't part of the in crowd anymore or that I was making wrong choices. My inner child, who was about 13, when I got curious with this part of myself, decided that my parents were subtly calling me out for not conforming by using the in crowd lingo. So I became aware of the story when I was actually with a group of ex-Mormon friends who used the exact same phrase, the exact same language that my parents had used during my last visit. But instead of feeling shame, fear or rejection or loneliness, I found myself laughing. I felt connected. I felt understood. And this was because the story was different. Their use of the Mormon lingo told me they understood my past experience and they were accepting of who I was now and that we had that in common. What I heard was exactly the same verbatim, but I had attached different stories to those words depending on who said them. And it's so interesting to have just this past weekend been in a crowd full of people who were LDS and hearing them use the lingo and still feeling some of that mild trigger and that mild fear of rejection, recognizing that they thought I was part of the in crowd and I am no longer part of that crowd. I no longer want to be part of that crowd. And it was it was just really interesting. The the feelings of like imposter syndrome and um even like mild shame that came up. But if I had been at that same table and some of that same lingo had been used and I found out they were all ex-Mormon, I would have felt completely different. I would have felt relieved, understood, accepted. So interesting how this story we tell ourselves in our head, that thing that happens between what is said and done and how we feel is the interpretation and the meaning that we assign what we see and hear. Now, the cool thing is when we understand the stories, it's easier to validate and heal the emotions. So have you ever mistook a child's temper tantrum for just being tired or being dramatic or being hungry? In those situations, even if we acknowledge the anger, the disappointment, or the overwhelm, even if we label it with the child, even if we deep breathe with them or hold them, Without the story behind the child's meltdown, we might decide that that emotion is silly or unwarranted. 
I did this with my autistic child when he was very young. Normally, he's a pretty chill kid, but he'd freak out and have meltdowns without any warning sometimes in public. I'm sorry to say that, you know, sometimes I would treat his freakouts as silly or unwarranted. Not understanding what it was like to be him, I came up with the story that his emotional overwhelm was ridiculous. I thought he was being stubborn or willful. And I hate to say that sometimes I ignored it because I thought it was just random drama. Remember when I told you I had accidentally emotionally neglected my own kids before I had better tools? This is part of what I'm talking about. And I still occasionally emotionally neglect my kids because I don't fully understand their needs because I'm still healing my own childhood emotional neglect. However, as he got older and better able to verbalize his experience, I realized that my son experiences all of the sensory input all at once. His brain doesn't filter out some of what he's smelling, seeing, or hearing so that he can regulate. It's all there, all of the time. And sometimes he just can't take any more. So I want to thank people who have created movies like Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close to help create more conversations and understanding in this household and households around the world. It's been so helpful for me to have that visual representation of what it might be like to be him and then check in with him, like to have words to be like, is this what you're experiencing? And to be able to move through some of those conversations. So once I understood what his experience was, it made so much sense that he was having emotional meltdowns. I would have had a meltdown too if I were him. It was only once I understood his experience and the story behind the emotional meltdown that I was able to check my own stories and create solutions for us both. This is true with our inner child as well. When we understand the story, when we understand the experience that led to their interpretation, when we understand the filter that they're seeing the world through, then it allows us to meet them in a place to meet their needs. So now my son goes everywhere with noise-canceling headphones and often with sunglasses. When things get overwhelming, he has the tools he needs to block out some of the bright light or to tune out the noise in the world, and this helps him calm himself when he's in sensory overload. It also helps him focus at school and get his work done because he gets to be in a world that isn't also bombarded by all of the noise around him. If I hadn't learned to not just identify my son's emotions, but also get curious about why those emotions were coming up for him, we never would have found solutions. If I didn't understand what was going on for him and just assumed that he was being dramatic, we never would have thought of noise-canceling headphones or sunglasses. I never would have purchased clothes that are made of certain materials and avoided clothes that had itchy or scratchy fabrics. This is the same for our own inner children. When our inner child freaks out or shuts down, take some time to get curious about their experiences and stories. Their emotion is going to make so much more sense when we understand the story behind it. So when your sister says they can't make the family trip this year, why does that make you feel like lashing out? When your spouse buys you a waffle iron for Christmas instead of an art set you asked for, why does that make you withdraw and feel lonely? Once you understand the story behind the emotion, what validation does your child need about what happened in the past? How can you soothe their feelings and help them feel supported? That's going to be the first step always. Their feelings are valid. 
They're going to need support. And then once they feel heard and validated and supported, once you've empathized with your child and helped them feel like you're on their side, how can you reframe that story now in the present into something healthier for you both? So when this comes up again in the future, how might you hear your inner child and remind them that they're safe now and then turn to your reframe? So let's say the next time you ask a friend to coffee and the friend says, no, I don't want to do coffee on Tuesday. And you feel yourself starting to feel really angry, rejected, maybe even thinking negative things about the friend that said no, you know, making a plan to break up with this friend or distance yourself from this friend. Recognize that you're having a big emotional reaction to, you know, something that maybe your adult self feels like is smaller or ridiculous. There might be part of you that's like, she just said no to coffee, but asked if I wanted to get together next week. Why am I freaking out? Why does this feel like it is such a big deal? That is a cue to get curious with your inner child, right? So we get curious and we say, hey, it feels like you're feeling a lot of rejection, abandonment, loneliness, you feel resentment. Did I get that right? First off, right? Like, is that what you're feeling? Your inner child's going to be like, yes, that's what I'm feeling. Or no, that's not quite right. I don't feel resentment. I feel rage. I don't feel lonely. I feel misunderstood. There's going to be, you know, corrections that your inner child will make sometimes, or sometimes they're going to be like, yeah, that's spot on what I feel. I feel like nobody loves me and I feel like I'm not worthy and I'm just waiting for everyone to reject me. I'm always going to be alone. You might hear some of these things. Validate that first, you know, really give them empathy. Yeah, it, it really looks like that was really difficult for you when she said no. And it's bringing up emotions of loneliness and, feelings of rejection and abandonment. I love you and I care about you and I want you to feel safe. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. What do you need right now to feel comforted and safe? Deal with that first. But then once you get to that place where your inner child is not freaking out and it feels like you really care and you're there to validate them, then you're going to go to the story and you're going to say, hey, so what happened there? When Sylvia said no to coffee, but said that she would see you at Zumba next Thursday, what happened? Where did you go? And listen to your child and keep asking questions. Perhaps your child will be like, everyone always says no to me. No one wants to ever hang out with me. Okay, where does that come from? And trace it back and see if the child remembers where that came from. It's okay if they don't. But the story we're finding out is no one wants to hang out with me. No one wants to spend time with me. And underneath that is I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough. And so there's this story that anytime someone says no, sets a boundary, tells you what they want or don't want, and it's different than you, you have a story that that means they're rejecting you. They're not rejecting coffee. They're rejecting you because you're not good enough and because people don't like you and they don't want to hang out with you. That's the place that needs the care. 
And when we can work with that part of ourselves, when we can, you know, help that part of ourselves feel like you're not going to abandon them, you like them. And you begin to look for evidence that other people do like you. I mean, I have a spouse that's hung around for 22 and a half years. They must like me. My kids write me notes and say that they really like me. You know, maybe that's true. Huh. I have this person that calls me regularly and schedules time to get together with me. Every time I come to Zumba class after being gone for a while, people say how much they missed me and how much more fun it is when I'm there at class. Really take that interpretation of events, that story to court. After you've validated feelings, because that is the first most important part, validate feelings. Feelings are always valid, but the information, the story isn't always valid. Does that make sense? It's not always the only interpretation that there could possibly be for events. So what we're doing is we're pushing back on that a little bit. We're taking it to court. We're saying, okay, so we have a couple of instances where people have said no and they really, you know, maybe they were really saying no to me. They say no all the time. Okay. But are there other instances where people have said yes to us? They keep showing up for us. They've stuck with us for years. They say they like us. They are constantly showing us they like us. Do we have evidence for that? Write it down. I know many of you are like, I hate writing. You're always talking about writing. Writing it down accesses a part of your brain that just thinking it doesn't access. And it helps cement some of these things for you. So this week, take some time to locate your inner child and begin to build trust. If you've already done that, the stuff that's in episode 20, begin to get curious about the stories behind your inner child's big emotions. And over time, as you get at the heart of your child's stories, you can help them begin to feel heard, understood, and provide them with the tools they need to feel empowered the next time a situation comes up that triggers them. And eventually, some of these situations are no longer going to be triggering. So at the very beginning, as you start to do this work this week, it may feel really clunky. And there might be times when you're confused. There might be times when things don't work exactly as they should, get curious when that happens, figure out what's working and what doesn't work, figure out what you're going to try on next and try that thing. This is where we you know, find solutions and we try them on and see what works and what doesn't because everyone's inner child is different. Who you are as a mature adult is different. You are unique and it's beautiful. So that means you're going to have to try some things on. It's going to be clunky at first and it might take some time at first but this is going to become fluid as you practice it. And as you practice it, your inner child is going to feel like they can trust you more. That parentified protective part of you is going to feel like they can trust you more and they're going to relax and become less critical. And all of you are going to be able to work together and feel like you're less at war with one another. I can't wait to hear your experiences. Please, please share your experiences on the Facebook group or ask questions on the Facebook group. If this is difficult, if it does feel clunky, go ask questions on the Facebook group. There are people over there that have been practicing this for a few years. I'm over there. We can all talk and discuss and we all learn together when we're all asking questions and sharing our own personal experience. We're all going to learn quicker and have more ideas for things to try on with our own inner child. 
So please go over to the Facebook group. And if you're on the monthly donor list and are part of the weekly call, these are things you can bring up in the call too, and we can talk about them face-to-face and work through specific difficulties that maybe are coming up for you. I look forward to all of these conversations. You enrich my lives with your stories and with your experiences and with your insights more than you know. This podcast is not just me. It's me and all of your collective experiences and input. And I love what we're creating together. So thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to talking to you again next Sunday.